At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I encourage you to take it out and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. While you turn there, I want to share with you a little bit about my past and how you know, God has grown me and refined me. You know, There was a time in my life where I thought I was the perfect gift giver. Uh, I, I didn't need a list. You didn't need to give me a list. You didn't need to let me know what you thought about because I was the perfect gift giver. What I would do is I would listen intently to people and I would listen to what they're saying and, and listen to what they, they said that they needed or things that they wanted and I would get them the thing that they needed. Sometimes it wasn't the thing that they wanted. But that was also true about birthday gifts. You know, when Sarah and I first got married within our first year, I listened very intently to the things that she wanted or needed for her birthday. And I remember uh, recounting and recalling over the course of our first year together several times, she would like look at our vacuum cleaner and she would like basically curse our vacuum cleaner because it wouldn't pick up like it was supposed to or the bag was too small or whatever it was. But there were several distinct times throughout the year that she mentioned a vacuum cleaner. And as we're getting ready to move into her birthday and celebrate her birthday, I thought, you know what? I know the perfect gift to give her. I'm going to buy her a brand new vacuum cleaner. Now, some of you know that's not a good thing to do. I didn't know at the time that, like, you weren't supposed to do that. And so I give her this gift, and she was excited because it was a pretty big box. And she rips it open, and she's like, a vacuum cleaner? Are you kidding me? A vacuum cleaner. And she just had to open the box just to make sure that there wasn't another box inside that actually had a real gift inside of it. She's like, you gave me a vacuum cleaner? And I'm like, yeah, isn't that what you need? And she was just like, Jeff, you don't understand. On your birthday, you don't give stuff that you need. You give, you know, gifts that show that you care and you're excited. I'm like, I do care. (laughs) She's like, you just don't get it. And that night was a very silent night. Uh, today, as we look at 2 Samuel verse chapter 7, we're going to see that I'm not the only person that got it wrong with wanting to give the right gift. Today, we're going to look at King David, and we're going to see that though uh, he thought he knew what God wanted, but in the end found out that he was completely wrong. He wanted to do all these great things for the Lord, and the Lord didn't want him to do it. So this morning, as we continue our series, looking at gift wrap, we've been looking at the gifts that God has given humanity over time and throughout history. And each week we've taken one of these gifts which come in the form of the covenants. And as we take a look at these covenants, we've been unwrapping them and seeing God's plan of redemption begin to unfold before us, how God was going to save man from their sins. How God was going to redeem his people from rebellion and how he was going to to give us peace with him once again. 
Remember, we look back at the covenant that God made with Noah. Remember when he said that he would withhold his wrath, that he would no longer destroy the world by flood because of man's sin. So God graciously granting us time to experience him. And then the second week, we look at the promise that he gave Abraham, that he would make a kingdom out of Abraham, that he would give them land and his descendants would be so numerous that they would be more than the stars in the sky. And then last week, we looked at the covenant with Moses, that he promised that God entered into this covenant with Moses and promised that he would protect them, that he would provide his presence for his people and that he would lead them and that they would be representatives to the nations. So each week we've looked at these gifts. We see that each one of these gifts meet the longings of our heart. That deep down, each one of us have deep desires that sometimes we look other places to try to fulfill. And what we're learning in this is that we come to Christ for, to fulfill all of these desires. We know we desire to be loved. We desire security. We desire blessing. We even desire to be in relationships. And what we're going to see today and continue to see is that all of these things, all of these desires are fulfilled in Christ. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the covenant that God made with David. Remember this, this covenant quite simply is that God promised that, that he would provide a Messiah king that would come from the lineage of David and the tribe of Judah and that he would establish through him would establish a kingdom that would last forever. So today, as we get a chance to uncover this to, to uh, David, we see that God is fulfilling the promises that he made to both Abraham and to Moses. Remember to Abraham, he says, I will make you a kingdom and you will be a kingdom of people. Then the covenant with Moses, we see that he was going to provide law for the kingdom and how they were supposed to live. And now the covenant with David provides a human king for the kingdom. So today, as we look at this passage, I want us to see a, a, a big idea for uh, the passage today is that you can't serve God better than God serves you. I want us to come back to this several times this morning. You can't serve God better than God serves you. Sometimes we get this messed up and we see that's exactly what David did. He tried to serve God better than God served him. And we're going to be taught today from God's word of how we can live in a way that honors God. The first truth that we're going to see in this passage today, beginning in verse one, is that God doesn't need our work for his glory. God doesn't need our work for his glory. Uh, let's look in, in verse Oh, actually, let, before we jump in, let me give you some context to what's going on with King David. So I want, to watch, want you to watch this quick video so that we can get up, caught up to speed of where all of this is coming in the context of the story of God's redemption. God chose David to be the next king of Israel. King Saul had died, and God gave his people a time of peace. David lived in a beautiful palace in the city of Jerusalem. One day, David was talking with Nathan the prophet. David said, I live in a palace of nice cedar wood, but the ark of God sits inside a tent. It hardly seemed fair. Shouldn't God have a nicer house than I do? David wanted to build a temple for the ark of God. Nathan said, God is with you, do what you want. But God did not want David to do whatever he wanted. God wanted David to do what God wanted. That night, God gave Nathan a message for David. 
this is what God told Nathan to say. David, are you going to build a house for me to live in? I brought my people out of Egypt. I gave them leaders to guide them. The entire time I have been with them, my house has been a tent. Did I ever ask anyone to build a temple for me? You used to be a shepherd, David, but I made you king. I helped you defeat your enemies, and my people now live peacefully in their own land. I promise you, David, that you and your descendants will be kings. When you die, one of your sons will be king. He will be a strong king, and no one will be able to take his kingdom away from him. He will build a house for me. I will love him, and I will never leave him. When your son dies, his son will be king. Someone in your family will be king forever. Nathan told David everything God said. David went into the tent he had set up for the ark of the Lord. He sat down and prayed. God, I don't deserve anything you have done for me, and you promised to do so much more. You are so great. There is no one like you. You chose the Israelites to be your own people. You rescued them from slavery in Egypt. God, please keep your promises. I know your words are always true. God promised David that every future king of Israel would come from David's family and David's kingdom would last forever. God kept his promise by sending his son, Jesus, as one of David's descendants. Jesus is our king who will rule over God's people forever. All right. So we see uh, that God was still at work from even in the past that he fulfilled all of his promises and continues to be a promise maker. And now we see David coming to a place in his own life where he uh, wants to do something for the Lord because the Lord has been so gracious to him. Let's look in verse one and we'll pick up there of chapter seven. He says, now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest on all of his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go and do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? Have I not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day? But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar. So what we're going to see the first truth from this passage is that God doesn't need our work for his glory. Remember the presence of God, the Israelite people had the presence of God with them every single day. And they were instructed in the Old Testament to build a tabernacle, which was a tent. 
And God's people were constantly on the move and God's presence was there inside the ark because that's where the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses were. And so it was a sign of God's presence with his people. And so as they're moving throughout uh, the uh, years and years and years until David comes through the time of the judges and all of that, God's presence was in an ark. And so now David comes on the scene and he has become king. God's given him his blessing. And David uh, worked really, really hard to, to war against other nations. And now God's people are unified. God's people are at rest. And we see just prior to this, the palace for King David has just been completed. So he's sitting in a place of rest. He's sitting in a place of peace. And one day he looks out to the temple from his beautiful palace or looks out from the the beautiful palace to see the Ark of the Covenant inside the tabernacle. And he comes up with this idea because God has been so faithful in his life. He he wants to do something for the Lord. And so he says, I want to build an ark and, and, and or I want to build a beautiful palace. I want to build not a beautiful palace, a beautiful temple for the presence of the Lord to dwell. And so what does David do who has a heart after God? He goes to Nathan. Nathan was the prophet at the time. He was the voice of God. and He was a spiritual advisor. And so David goes to Nathan and he says, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Like God has been so good to us. Maybe it's time for me to build a temple for God. Nathan, being a, a wise man, looks, thinks about this and he says, well, it's, this is a good thing. Right? It's not a bad thing. What David wants to do is not violating God's commands. Nowhere does it break God's law. So he says, well, David, go and do, do what's in your heart. Do what's in your mind to do because this is a good thing. So now David goes off and he goes to bed. And that night, the word of the Lord comes to Nathan. Nathan tells David, or God tells Nathan that that's not the plan that he has for David. That David is not the one to do it. And in essence, he gives this kind of rhetorical question. Like, who are you, David, to think that I need you to accomplish my work? Who are you? Don't you remember that it was me that brought you out of Egypt, that God's people out of Egypt? I've been with you this whole time. I've been the one at work. And no time have I asked any one of my other followers to build me a house. And so it may seem kind of perplexing, this passage and and where we're at today. But one of the things I, I think we can learn from this is that God's ways are not our ways. And as God is unfolding this super plan of redemption, he knows how every person and every event in history falls into that plan. Like when you think about it, he had a plan for David. And even though David wanted to do a good thing, he thought it was what was best. And his ideas came from his intuition and it came from inside of himself. And so he does a good thing. He goes and checks himself and God says, you're not the one. Because David saw life through a tiny lens. I've got a a, a quick example for you. Everyone take your hand and make a really, really, really small hole with your hand. Like right through here. Okay? And if you can close one eye, take your one eye and look through that tiny, tiny hole. Everyone see it? All right, now imagine for a moment you can't move your head around. You're fixed in this location. Now imagine what you see, what you see right now. 
What you see is, is pretty good, right? Like it's, it's nice and it's whatever. And if you were to describe it, we'd all describe something a little bit different. Maybe some of you are focused in on the guitar and you say, man, life is like this beautiful piece of wood with strings that has a lot of instruments. Some of you are focused on the candle and you're like, no, life is about like light and brightness. And you're all describing things that are good and, and part of the picture. But guess what? You don't see the bigger picture. Now take your hand down. You see, God sees the picture in depth and God sees the picture in time and God has the ability to see much more than we do. And so your life is significant in the plan of God, but you only see a small portion. And sometimes God's plan for our lives is to walk through times of disappointment. Sometimes God's plan for our lives is to go through times of suffering. And sometimes God's plan for our lives, as in David's case right now, sometimes we walk through seasons of peace. But we need to constantly be reminded, no matter what season we're in, that we're only seeing a small part of the picture. David desired to do something good for the Lord, but it wasn't part of God's plan. God didn't need David's work for his own glory. You see, like David, we as Christians sometimes come up with projects and plans that are based on our instincts and our intuitions. Like we think we know what's best. You know, the most damaging words that we ever hear from one another is, you know what I think? Right? Those are damaging words. Because in essence, in the world today, we don't need to know what people think. We need to know what the word of God says. And so many times we are moved by our intuitions and our instincts instead of being led by the spirit. God, didn't, God doesn't need us to do what's right or good in our own eyes. We need to do what's right according to his plan. God doesn't need us to do work to bring him glory. But we need to understand what God wants to do through us is to bring himself glory through what he does through us. So I love what David does here. It's, it's so amazing is that we see the pattern. What, what David does is he has this intuition. He has, I want to do this good thing. It wasn't a bad thing. And so what does the process he do? Does he goes to the voice of God? At that time, Nathan was the, the voice of God. And he tells, he says, hey, this is what I want to do. And then he gives space for God to speak. And God speaks directly to Nathan and says, David, this is not what I want you to do. This is not your role as a part of the plan that's going to bring me glory. And then we see later on in this passage, and then the later half of this, this chapter, we see that what does David do after he hears the word of the Lord? David obeys you see you and I in our own lives so many times we parent from our intuitions we parent from our instincts we we work from our intuitions and we work from our instincts instead of working from the place of knowing the word of God and then obeying it you see we have a better benefit than even David had in his time because we don't need Nathan the prophet because we have God's word God has given us a clear revelation of how we should live, how we should think, and the things that we should do. And not only do we have the benefit of having God's word, we are better than David because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that helps us understand this, that helps guide us and give us the power to obey. David didn't have all of that. So you and I are more benefited 
because of what God has given us. So we work not from a place of coming up with our own plans, but we work from a place of surrender. That we bring our hearts to God, we bring our plans to the Lord, and not just say, God, sign off on this, but we bring them and say, no, God, speak into them and show me how you want me to live and how you want me to go. Second of all, not only does God not need our work for his glory, but God works on our behalf to bring us rest. God works on our behalf to bring us rest. Look at verse 8. He goes on and says, Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you may be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be, distribute, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. For the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all of your enemies. See, God's plan as it's unfolding is to bring us rest. And that was the plan even in, in David's life. And I love here how uh, we see the title of God being described in verse 8. It says, now the Lord of hosts. This description is not used a lot in scripture. It, it occurs in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. But and it's used in times of, of moments of solemn importance. It emphasizes, this title emphasizes the sovereignty and power and control of God. So Nathan hears this Lord of hosts coming with a message. This is, this is important. This is solemn. This is powerful. I'm letting you know that it may not make sense to you. The plan that I've just said that, that David's not supposed to do this good thing may not make sense to you. But trust that I'm sovereign, that I'm carrying out my plan. And so what does God do? He tells David to look to his past. David, look to your past and see when you were a shepherd, that's who you used to be. But that's not what God had, all the plans that God had for him. God had better plans for him that he brought him out from being a shepherd to being a prince, to being king of Israel. It was God's hand at work in David's life the whole time. So, sec so first he says, look back and see how I, I've done this for you. See how I've, I brought you through and cared for you from all of your enemies and I've protected you every step of the way. Second, he says, now go look to your future. God promises that he will give David a great name, a great place. He will give him peace and he will give him rest. You know, even though David at this time in his life was at a place of, of peace, the, the, the kingdom was unified and there were no, no enemies that were seeking to, to attack him, but that was short-lived peace. But God was saying, I'm promising you in the future, total peace, absolute peace. God says when he's done, so he gives him the taste to look not only to the past and the future, but look to the promises of God. See, with the promises that God gives David are also our promises as well, because God works for us to rest in him. 
God constantly is reminding him that he's the one doing this work on his behalf, that he wants to bring him to a place of peace and rest. And the beauty of what God is doing is, as we unfold the story centuries later, is that all of these promises that God is giving to David about rest and peace actually are fulfilled in Jesus. The rest and peace that we can experience comes only through Jesus ourselves. And so if you're living your life right now trying to find peace, if, you, if you're really wrestling, I just want to have peace in my relationships with my family. I just want to have peace as it relates to people at work. And, and you're just at a place like you feel so overwhelmed that you just need peace desperately. I want to encourage you to come back to Jesus. Because Jesus promises that he gives us peace. And let me explain to you how Jesus brings us peace. First of all, our greatest need in the world is to have peace with God. Right? Because in Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that when we are dead in our trespasses and sins, we are enemies of God. So when we're born and we begin to live our lives... And we begin to sin and we begin to rebel against God. And we say, God, I don't want your rules. I don't want you to be the boss of me. What that does is it creates more and more distance between us and the God of the universe. It makes uh, the, the penalty that's due us continue to grow more and more and more. And we need peace with God. Right. So we the Bible tells us for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then later on in the chapter of Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death. What we gain for our sin is eternal death or eternal separation from the God of the universe. And so God had a plan to come and save us and to bring us peace with God. And he does so through Jesus, because Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, came and lived a perfect life where every single day he obeyed God's will for his life. And that Jesus also came to be the ultimate sacrifice because God is a just God. Something has to die to pay for sin. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He goes to the cross and bears the weight of all the sin of the world. He takes the punishment that is due us and he dies and God raises him from the dead. And by doing so, what God does is he gives a path for sinful people to have peace with God once again. Our responsibility, though, is to come to consider Jesus and believe in him as our Lord and Savior. And when we do that, immediately we have peace with God because our sins are forgiven, our penalty is paid, and we immediately become children of God and we have peace with God. But not only does Jesus bring us peace with God, which is an amazing thing, we know because Jesus has come to bring peace, he gives us peace with others. We no longer have to have enemies in this world. Because we have been forgiven, we now have the love of God living inside of us that can move us towards loving other people. And we know that when we love people through the power of God that's given us, there's nothing that needs to distract us so that we can have peace with others. But we also know we need peace in this life. We're looking for peace in this life because this life is hard. This life is hard because it's full of death. It's full of disease. It's full of all kinds of distractions. And this is what I love. Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says this. It's an invitation. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does he say that we're supposed to do? Bring our pains to him. Bring our disappointments to him. Bring all of the frustration of this world. We bring it to him. All of us are burdened and heavy laden. What does he promise when we bring our burdens to him? That he gives us rest. He gives us rest. We know we have the promise of eternal rest with God in heaven as we, we've looked at Revelation, before, uh, Revelation chapter 21 before where God says in heaven there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more all those things for all those things are passed away and behold, he's making all things new. That's a promise for the future where we will have eternal rest but he promises also in the midst of our pain of this life, he will give us rest if we bring our burdens to him. If we bring our pains to him, the things that weigh us down and make it hard for us to move, we bring them to him and he gives us rest. Thirdly, I want us to see that God provides a forever king to serve us. God provides a forever king to serve us. Look with me in verse, the second part of verse 11. He says, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, you shall come, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul." whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all the visions Nathan spoke to David. I like how God does a, a play on words here. David comes to God and says, hey, I wanna make a house for you. And then God turns it around and he says, wait a minute, no, no, David, I'm gonna make you a house. My promise is not for you. My plans for you are bigger. I am gonna make a house out of you. I am going to give you blessings. And in this blessing, he says, it won't be you that will build the house, but it will be one of your sons. And we know that God fulfilled that promise through Solomon, that Solomon was given the, the work of the Lord to build the beautiful place for God's presence to dwell. But the promise goes on. And they, what we see in these promises that they were further unfolding or fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. God is, God is not just like coming up with this plan as he goes along, but he's unfolding this plan that he had. Remember the promise that he made to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations and that they would have established land and, and they would be a people. And now God is further unfolding that here as he's giving these promises to David. God gave the promise that that his throne would be established forever. There would always be one of his descendants sitting on the throne. And even through the, some of the disobedience of uh, some of the kings, as we go through and we read about the kings that came after David, it continually says, and this king did evil in the sight of the Lord, and this king did evil in the sight of the Lord, and this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it ends, ends up moving towards the time where God's people go into captivity in Babylon. And it seems like God's promises aren't being fulfilled, that God has, has forgotten his promises to his people. 
But he says, even though they will be disobedient, even though they will commit iniquity, he promises that he will discipline them, but that he will not remove this blessing. And then we read in Isaiah, as God's people have got to the point now where they're getting ready to go into Babylonian captivity, God gives them this promise to hold on to as they're in this captivity. Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven says this, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you see the Lord of hosts again showing up? Like God is making this solemn promise that he is sovereignly at work unfolding all of this. And as God's people are going into captivity, he's saying it's not going to end there. You're not going to, to end in captivity, boy, but instead I'm pointing to one that's going to come. This wonderful counselor, this mighty God that is going to be the one that I'm going to continue to fulfill the, my kingdom through. All of this pointed to Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, we see that New Testament introduces Jesus in this way. He says, Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, God knew all along he was pointing to Christ. And in this word, Christ is also referred to as the Messiah. And so it's basically Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the one that God has promised. And this is what's so exciting at Christmas time. At Christmas time, we are reminded that God is not only a promise maker, but God is a promise keeper. And that God has a plan even in the midst of all of this pain. And who is this king that is going to come? We saw all the kings that came prior to, to, uh, to Jesus, all of those kings were in it for themselves. They took God's resources and they used them for themselves. And they, they worshiped other gods and they worshiped other things and, and they did evil in the sight of God. But this king that comes is a different kind of king. He's the king that all these other kings were pointing to. Let me give you a description of this king and how we're supposed to live in re re reality of this king. Philippians chapter two says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affliction and sympathy, complete my, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others' interests more significant than yourselves. Let each one not look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So now he's going to describe Jesus. Who, though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on his name, the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
What we see here is a Savior who comes, who gives up all of his heavenly rights to come to save us from our sins. He humbles himself, takes on the form of a servant, which is totally different than what we see, even in our world today. We see leaders not being suffering servants, but we see leaders grabbing for power all over the place. And Jesus, who had all the power, gave up all that power to save us from our sin. See, Jesus is an amazing savior. And he comes as a servant and then calls us to live in the same way. That's why in the beginning of this, he says, don't do things out of selfish ambition, but consider Christ. And allow Christ to be an example to you of how you are to live. And for us, we live in an amazing season where, where we as the children of God are called to follow in our Father's footsteps by being servants of others. Yeah, that may sound strange to you, but we're called to serve others. And what an amazing time in history that God has made us al allowed to be alive where we, as the church, God's hands and feet, can step out in faith and serve others. During this Christmas season, we know that there are so many ways uh, that people are looking for hope, people are desiring to experience the love of God, and God's called us to be those hands and feet. Let me give you just some, some quick uh, ways that you can bless other people and be a servant to others. You know, this is a financially difficult time for so many and through, um, through the things that we've been doing on Takeout Tuesday and all that, uh, we were able to bless over 66 workers in the food industry this week. We were able to take them uh, gift cards of $50 and just bless them, knowing that it's been hard for them. And as I had an opportunity, and Pastor Tyler had an opportunity to go, to see the faces of these workers receive uh, these gift cards was overwhelming. And we went to one place, and the guy's like, why are you doing this? Like, like, where do I sign? What, are, what, are the, what do I need to do to receive this? And we're like, nothing. It's just, well, why are you doing this? Because we wanted you to know that Jesus loves you. We want you to know that Jesus loves you. That's it. There's no strings attached. Jesus loves you. And you know, we too in our daily lives can live in the same way. During this season, you know, it's, 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 it's great if, if you have the ability, like if you're going through the drive-thru and you, you get some food, why don't you pay for the car behind you? And then when they, when they go to the counter, just tell the person, I'm doing this because Jesus loves them. Or maybe you, you want to uh, feel generous and, and, and tip those service workers that, that you have an opportunity. Show God's love in real tangible ways. Let's serve the Lord together as we see God do mighty things. If you're here today and you've never come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's done all of this so that you can have peace, so that you can be at rest. The greatest thing we can do is consider Jesus and surrender our lives to him. But for many of us, maybe we walk through a season where we've lost that peace and that rest that God promises. Maybe you're, you've gone through a difficult time this year. Let me remind you, bring your burdens to the Lord lay them at his feet and allow his rest to come. And for some of you, you may lay those burdens at nine o'clock in the morning when you wake up or maybe you wake up at six, you lay those burdens at his feet and by, by 9.05, you're like picking them back up again. Well, this is the, the wonderful opportunity we have is to continually lay those burdens at his feet and when we do, that peace promises to come. But let us be people that share the love of Christ, that love and believe that God is at work in our lives and let us trust in him.
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that we have the promises of old, that through just this series we've been watching week after week, your faithfulness. And God, we have the promises if that you were faithful in the past, that you will be faithful today. Father, I'm aware that there are some even here today or watching online that have gone through a difficult year. That it might have been hard for them to believe that you're good. That it might be hard for them to believe that you even care or even know what's going on in their lives. But Father, we are reminded today that you know and you care. Help us, God, to be reminded of that and help us to live as people that are assured of the promises that you have for us, that we today can experience salvation and that as we live in this dark life, we have the promises that you're with us, guiding us and leading us. So Father, now as we sing this last song, continue to bless our hearts, continue to fill us with faith, continue to help us to follow in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.